It's a fireworks show. <laughs> I just don't see any of them. <laughs> Philippians chapter 4, looking at verses 1 through 7. We're continuing our study through Paul's letter to the church at Philippi. Philippians chapter 4, verses 1 through 7. Please stand and honor the reading of God's holy word. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat Euodia and I entreat Syntech to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Pray with me, please. Father, this is your word. It's true in all that it says and teaches. The only rule for faith and practice. For Lord, you are the supreme author of it, and you are perfect. Lord, I pray your blessings upon the preaching of your word. Fill me with your spirit that I might preach in a manner that is pleasing in your sight. Grow us in our relationship with you. May we worship you in spirit and truth. And again, if there is one here who doesn't know you, I pray that that person would come savingly to yourself today. Draw them by your Holy Spirit. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Sorry, fireworks show is going away. Am I good? We'll try it. Have you been to the beach this year? Anyone been to the beach? Yep, summertime. I remember growing up, my family would take an annual trip to the beach. Loved it. Looked forward to it every year. And I remember specifically as a teenager, every time we'd go to the beach, one of the things I would always do, I'd, I'd go into the ocean right there where the, where the waves were crashing. And I'd go into the ocean, and I, you know, I thought I was big and strong, and I would stand right there where the waves were crashing. And I would try to to make my mark against the waves. I would try to, to plant my feet in shifting sand, get low, be strong, and when a wave crashed me, I tried not to move. I tried not to budge. I wanted to take on the waves. And the more I did that, the harder it got because the waves kept getting bigger and bigger and stronger and stronger. And I'd find every year that I did that, you know, the small waves I was fine, but when the big waves would come, I'd get shaken. It would knock me either to my left or to my right. It would, it would knock me back. My, my footing was unstable. I had absolutely nothing to hold on to, and the waves would rock me. And if I turned my head for just a moment, you know what happens, right? A wave hits you, you're not ready for it, and you just get clobbered. Anyone ever, you ever get clobbered by a wave? I've, I've been clobbered by several waves. You know, whenever I read this text, Philippians 4.1, 
I think about that story, and here's why. Because in Philippians 4.1, the text we just read, Paul calls us to stand firm in the Lord. You see, I was trying to stand firm on my own in the ocean. And in this verse, Paul calls us to stand firm in the Lord. And he calls us to stand firm because he knows standing firm is not easy to do. Why? Because the apostle Paul knows as the Christian stands firm, the waves are coming. The waves of trouble the waves of difficulty, they're coming, they're being aimed at every single Christian. When I was in seminary, I read a book by Bishop J.C. Ryle called Holiness. Anyone ever heard of that book, Holiness? Excellent book on sanctification, on living the Christian life. And in that book, there's a chapter called The Fight. Well, I'm definitely reading that chapter. That's great. The Fight in a book called Holiness. Are you kidding me? Yes, The Fight. And Bishop Ryle goes through that chapter, the fight, and he says, in this world, the Christian is going to fight, is going to battle at least three things. And those three things are going to act like waves. They're going to come crashing into your life. Number one, he's going to fight the world. This present evil age, can we not look around us and see the fall of man everywhere in this world, the immorality that surrounds us all the time? We have to battle that every day. It's like a wave crashing into our lives. Number two, we have to battle the flesh, our own sinful nature. Paul said, my spirit is willing, but my flesh is weak. We battle our own temptations inside ourselves every single day. It's like a wave crashing into us. But number three, we battle Satan himself. Satan's like that roaming, roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And the Bible teaches us that those three things, the world, the flesh, and the devil, they're like gigantic waves that keep crashing into Christians. Christians who are trying to what? Stand firm in the Lord. But the difference between me and that ocean and standing firm in the Lord is when I was in the ocean, I was by myself. I didn't have good footing, did I? I had shifting sand under me. And I had absolutely nothing to hold on to. But when Paul tells us as believers to stand firm, it's not like that. Because we're never by ourselves. God's always with us. God gives us a firm foundation. He says in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 3.11, that Christ is the foundation that you're standing on. And by the way, you got something to hold on to. You have his word. As we spoke with Rannon this morning, God's Word is that lamp to your feet. It's the light to your path. It's what's going to inform you about how to stand firm in the Christian life. So, beloved, as we examine this text today, as we look at how we should stand firm in the Lord, we're going to ask the question, what does that actually look like in real life? What are some real-life examples of how you and I as Christians are to stand firm in the Lord, on the foundation of Christ, holding on to his word. Well, today the rubber hits the road. Because Paul gives us at least three specific points on how to live godly lives by standing firm as the waves of the world, the flesh, and the devil crash against us. I want you to see these three today. Three ways to live a godly life. First of all, God calls us to stand firm in unity. Secondly, 
to stand firm in joy. And then thirdly, to stand firm in your prayer life. Stand firm in unity, in joy, and in your prayer life. This is where rubber hits the road in life. Let's look at the first one, standing firm in unity. Look back at verses 2 and 3 with me. Let's see what happened there in Philippi. After telling them to stand firm, Paul says in verse 2, I entreat Euodia and I entreat Syntec to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. You know, one of the biggest themes throughout the whole book of Philippians is unity. We saw it back in chapter 1 when Paul said, stand firm together with one mind, one mind. In chapter 2, he said, look out for the interest of others and keep unity with each other by not grumbling or complaining, not arguing. We see it here today again in chapter 4, this call to unity. You see, it seems that one of the waves of the flesh had been crashing in to at least two ladies at the church at Philippi. Paul even calls them by name. Did you see it? Euodia and Syntec. Verse 2 teaches us that there was a disagreement between these two ladies. And this disagreement was starting to affect the unity of the church. But as we look at the background of these ladies in this context, we see it's clear that these ladies, they weren't just members of the church but they had previously labored side by side with Paul. Look at it. Verse 3, who have labored side by side with me in the gospel. What does that tell us? That these ladies, they weren't new Christians. That they had been in the congregation for a while. They had been there. They had done that. They were faithful women of God. They were solid Christians. But one thing Paul's trying to teach us here, and we all need to pay attention to this part, is that even solid, committed Christians, they're going to be hit hard with the waves. And in this case, it was a wave of disagreement. Lack of unity. Now, what was the disagreement over? We don't know. I don't think it was one of doctrine, because if it was, Paul would have sided with one of them, or maybe admonished both of them. He had just done that, right? A few verses earlier in chapter 3, when there was an issue of doctrine, he argued against the Judaizers. He argued for the gospel. He doesn't do that here. So it tells me that this is not an issue of doctrine, so it's probably a personal matter. Probably an issue of personality. An issue of preference. But something got between them. Something was causing discord between these two ladies, and it was breaking up the unity of the church. So what does Paul do? Paul the shepherd, he kindly and gently admonishes both of them. You can see it from the text. He says, I entreat Euodia, I entreat Syntec to agree in the Lord. He wants them to return to a harmonious relationship, one that builds teamwork and one that's not fighting against each to the other. 
He even goes one more step, doesn't he? Did you see he even asks another church member? He calls the church member true companion in verse 3. He says, I ask you true companion to what? Help these women. He asks a member of that church, would you step in and give assistance to these ladies? These ladies who have worked side by side with me. Their disagreement is so big that they need some help in working that out. It's essential that you do that to keep the unity of the church. Beloved, as we step back and look at this situation, I think there's at least four things we can learn from Paul's dealing with these two ladies. The first one's this. Even the most devoted, rock-solid Christian can be rocked with the waves of sin. Paul said it this way, when a man thinks he stands, take heed lest he fall. No matter how mature you are in your faith, never think that you're not a target of the devil. More than anything within the church of God, he wants to get you and maybe another member in this room to start disagreeing and arguing about it. He wants issues of personality, issues of preference to come between the two of you so there is a discord between you two and then that will carry out and filter out into the church. And before you know it, unity just breaks down altogether. Paul is doing his best to guard against this. You see it from the Word of God. These ladies had stood strong for years but now the wave was coming. It was rocking their world. They might not have even realized it. And Paul lovingly admonished them. And that's the second point. We learn that within the church, admonishment is needed. We're not home yet, are we? We're still growing in the grace and knowledge of Christ. No one is perfect. Now, Paul's leadership it involved encouragement. At the very beginning of this book, he told the church, I thank God that you are partnering in the gospel with me. He encouraged them. He prayed for them. He thanked God for them. But now, he had to point out an error. And he was not afraid to do it. You see, a good shepherd is not afraid to rebuke his sheep. And a good shepherd does that lovingly and kindly as he does in this text. You see it. I entreat you, Euodia. I entreat you, Syntec. Agree in the Lord. He does it respectfully. He does it politely. But the point is, he does it. He's not afraid to do it. He knows that's part of leadership. Some people might say, that's too harsh, Paul. There's no need for rebuke in the church. You should just let it go. But for Paul, he knew that saying nothing would actually be much worse. He knew that saying nothing would, uh, would allow the unity of the church just to, just to crumble. Was it painful for Euodia and Syntec to hear these words? Yeah, I'm sure it was. Nobody likes to be rebuked. But he did it for their own good, didn't he? He did it for the unity of the church, didn't he? He was seeing the big picture, not the small picture. It reminds us of what Hebrews 11 says. Or excuse me, Hebrews 12, verse 11 says. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. 
but later it yields a peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Think about a time you've received discipline. Was that painful? Yes. I can remember my times of receiving discipline. It's painful. It was probably painful for you, Odie and Syntec, to hear this. So that agrees with the Bible. All discipline seems painful, but later it yields a fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Even those ladies needed that admonishment in their lives. Number three, what can we learn? We can learn that it's okay to need help. These ladies needed help. Paul asked a church member, a true companion, help these ladies. Some people might have the attitude, you know, I've been a church member a long time. I don't need any help. I don't need anyone to step into my life and help me through a situation. Pride kicks in, right? But even Paul says, even the most faithful members need help from time to time. They need guidance. And listen, I might need some help. You might need some help. The Bible says we are all in this thing together. We are all broken and growing together in Christ. And every one of us, including me, needs someone to come alongside us once in a while and help us get through this or that. These ladies need it. We need it. It recognizes teamwork within the body. And the last thing we learn is that unity takes hard work. Beloved, if we want to stay unified as a church, it takes hard work. Remember a moment ago I said one of the differences between me standing in that water and us standing firm is the fact that I didn't have anything to hold on to, and we do. We have God's Word to hold on to and cling to. Let me give you the scriptures that we need to cling to as we understand that unity is hard work. Number one, Ephesians 4, 3. It says, be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit. What are you eager about? What do you get excited about? Many of us get eager or excited about what's good for us, ourselves. But are we eager to look outside of ourselves to keep the unity of the church? Romans 14, 19. Let us pursue what makes for peace and mutual upbuilding. I love that word, pursuit. Have you ever pursued anything? That means you go after something with everything you've got. You set your eyes on it. You focus on it. You do what you can to go get it. What does the Bible say? Pursue peace. Pursue unity in the body of Christ. It takes work. Because as we go pursue peace and unity, things get in the way. Things like pride or selfishness. Things like arrogance, having to be patient with someone, having to be long-suffering with someone. We don't like that. Those things get in our way. But the Bible says pursue that. Go after that. That's what's important. I'll give you two more scriptures. Matthew 5 and Matthew 18. Both are words coming from the Lord Jesus Christ. You, isn't it amazing about Jesus is that in teaching us how to live the Christian life, it wasn't if our problem's going to happen, do this. It was when our problem happens, do this. Here's what Jesus says. 
In Matthew 5, he says, if you're worshiping and you remember that you've offended someone, <laughs> what are you supposed to do? Leave and go to that person and get it right. You're supposed to go to that person and say, hey, I'm sorry. I want to make things right between me and you. Matthew 18, Jesus says, think of a situation where someone's offended you. What are you supposed to do? Same thing. You're to leave and go to that person and make things right between the two of you. You should forgive that person just as you've been forgiven. So whether you've done the offending or you've been the offender, the solution is the same. You're to be running towards each other. Why? Because you're both pursuing peace. You're pursuing unity. Wouldn't it be great for that person and that person to actually meet in the middle? That's the biblical model. And if we want to stand firm in unity, this is the way we're to do it. We cannot let issues, a personality of preference, break up our unity. John MacArthur said it this way, the tragic conflict between Euodia and Syntec reveals that even the most mature, faithful, and committed people, committed Christians, can become so selfish and so embroiled in controversy if they are not diligent to maintain the unity in Christ. Beloved, as we battle the wave of disagreement, let's stand firm in our unity. Secondly, this morning, verses 4 and 5 teach us to stand firm in joy. Look at it with me. Verses 4 and 5. Rejoice in the Lord. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do you remember the story in Acts 16, right before the church in Philippi started? That's one of my favorite stories in the Bible. Paul had just picked up Timothy from Lystra. He said, come on with me and Silas. We're going to go to Philippi. They got there. They immediately witnessed to a lady named Lydia. And under the power of the Holy Spirit, God changed her heart. She was made alive by God. She was born again. She became a Christian. I'm sure that had to be a good moment for Paul and Silas, don't you think? They went into the town. They met the demon-possessed girl. After several days, through the power of Christ and the ministry of Paul, she was made whole. She was put in her right mind. That had to be another great moment for Paul and Silas. Had to be a high, wouldn't you think? But the people of the town saw that their way of making money was gone. See, they were using that young girl to make money. And they didn't like it. So they took Paul and Silas and they beat them. They put them in chains and they threw them in prison. Paul went from this great high of leading Lydia to the Lord, of, of watching this demon-possessed girl be healed, all the way down to the depths of being beaten, being chained, and put in prison. And we asked the question, what was his mindset? What was his heart attitude? Did he complain? Did he blame Silas? Did he, did he blame God? Did he say, get me out of here? No, he didn't do all that, didn't do any of that. Did he lose his joy? Not one bit. If you read in the text, in Acts 16, the Bible says 
that Paul and Silas were in that prison cell doing two things. You know what they are? Singing and praying. And I read that story and I take a step back and I have to ask this question. Maybe you can ask it with me. What if that was me? How would I react to those circumstances? Going from the highest of highs to the lowest of lows. How would I react to those circumstances? You see, beloved, what the Bible is teaching us is that there is a difference between joy and happiness. Happiness will come and go. Happiness is circumstance-based. If things are going your way, you're happy. If things are not going your way, you're sad. But joy, joy is completely different. Joy is that deep down confidence that God is in control of all things and he is using all things, good things, bad things, highs and low for your good and his glory. It's an understanding of Romans 8.28. And like unity, joy is also rooted in the Scriptures. You know, the Apostle Paul, let's remember, he was a Pharisee. He knew the Old Testament. And I'm sure as he was sitting in that prison cell with, with Silas, he was thinking about some of those Old Testament texts, the things that he was going to hold on to, right, as the wave of circumstances was crashing into his life. I'm sure he was probably thinking about Isaiah 40. The Bible describes the majesty of God. It says the nations are like a drop in the bucket to the Lord. The nations are nothing before him. That those people who arrested him and put him in that prison before God, they're absolutely nothing. He knew that the Lord was an everlasting God, that God does not faint, God does not grow weary, that God had not forgotten about Paul and Silas even in the depths of that prison. He remembered Psalm 46, I'm sure. It says, God is our refuge and our strength, a very present help in a time of trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way, though the mountains fall into the heart of the sea. Be still and know that I am God. Paul knew the word of God, and he was resting upon the truths about God. He knew God's character. And in that Philippian jail years before, I'm sure he was contemplating that. Now consider his current situation. Because he was in prison again, wasn't he? When he was writing this book. He got out of the jail in Philippi, we know that. Went to Ephesus on the third missionary journey in a number of places. Came back to Jerusalem, he was arrested again. Put in prison in Caesarea for two years. Was put on a ship, sent to Rome, shipwrecked. Finally gets to Rome. He's under Roman house arrest, waiting to see, you know, stand before Caesar. He might die at any moment. And what does he say? Rejoice. Rejoice. You see, his circumstances did not dictate his joy. It didn't matter how high or how low things got. He wasn't going to be fearful. He wasn't going to argue. He wasn't going to complain because he knew that God had this. God's got this. I'm obeying him. I'm in his will. Even in this awful situation. 
So we have to ask the question, what determines our joy? Do we let circumstances, high things, low things, determine the joy we have in our Christian life? For, beloved, as we battle the wave of bad circumstances, the Bible says to stand firm in God-given joy. Now, as we move into our final point, it seems to be very logical that if you let circumstances dictate your joy, what's going to happen in your mind and your heart? Anxiety, worry, doubt, fear. That's the last point. He deals with that. Look at it in the text. Verses 6 and 7, what does it say? Do not be what? Anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. The command in this text is, do not be anxious. If we let circumstances dictate our joy, we will be filled with anxiety. We will be filled with worry. You see, having anxiety is the opposite of standing firm. Standing firm, unmovable, is one picture, but anxiety is a picture of complete disarray. It's a complete picture of of chaos, of uncertainty, being unsettled, losing self-control, and ultimately for us as Christians, it's a lack of trust in God. It's putting everything on ourselves and refusing to trust the Lord. And having a worrisome anxiety, a spirit of anxiety. It shows how unstable we are. It shows, honestly, how unfamiliar we are with the promises of God. And I tell you this because I speak from experience, because I'm right there with you. One of my greatest issues is anxiety, worrying about this and this, this or that. I'm a planner. I want to know what's coming next. And I can spend so much time worrying, having anxiety about the future. But you know what the Bible says I should do? Instead of doing that, what should I do? I should be on my knees praying about it. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. Do you remember the text Eric read a moment ago? Jesus talks a good bit about worry, doesn't he, in the Sermon on the Mount. And here's what he says. He says, consider the lilies of the field. Look at those things. They're beautiful. Solomon didn't look that good. (laughs) If God dresses the lilies of the field, will he not dress you? Look at the birds of the air. God feeds them. He takes care of them. If God feeds those birds, do you not think he's going to feed you? It's an argument from the lesser to the greater. If he does it for the lesser, he's going to do that and that much more for the greater. He loves to give good gifts to his children. So Jesus says, don't worry. Have you gained an hour by worrying Sufficient is the day, right? 
the trouble thereof. Don't worry, but what? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Now, how do we do that? We do that through prayer. If you step back and look at verses 6 and 7, do this with me. I want to pull out three words. Anxious, prayer, peace. You see those words in there? They're in there in that order. Anxious or anxiety, prayer, and peace. So if anxious is on this end and peace is on this end, I have a question for you, church. How do you get from anxiety to peace? You have to. You see, if there's only anxiety and there's no prayer, don't even think about peace. Think about worrying, think about doubt, think about fear. But one of the things God has given to you and to me as a child of God is the opportunity to approach the throne of grace in boldness because Jesus ushered you there. And he has said to us, get down on your knees and lift up to me those burdens that you have. Lift up to me those anxieties you have. Cast all your care on me, God says, because I care for you. And if we would spend all that time that we spend having worry and anxiety actually in prayer instead of doing that mess, then the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind. Think about that. Your heart, your emotions, and your mind, your thoughts. God's peace will guard your heart and your mind. Go to him in prayer. With thanksgiving, this Bible says, lifting up prayers to supplication of petition. It's one of the greatest blessings that you and I can have is the blessing of prayer. So as we battle the wave of anxiety, let us stand firm in prayer. As we close today, beloved, we understand that the waves of the world, the flesh, the devil, they're coming. And we're standing in the way. They want to crash around you. They want to crash on you. So I have three questions for you. When the wave of disagreement comes between you and another person, will you stand firm in unity? Or will you allow personal preference, even personality, to cause a division between you and other people? It's going to happen. Even to the most mature Christian, remember what the Bible says. When a man thinks he stands, take heed, lest he fall. Remember the example of Euodia. Remember Syntec. And let us all pursue, right? Pursue unity and the peace of the church. Number two. When the wave of bad circumstances crash into your life, will you stand firm in joy? Remember the character of God. He has not abandoned you. Isaiah 40 says he doesn't sleep, he doesn't slumber. The Bible teaches us he will never leave us or forsake us. He is our refuge a very present help in trouble. Don't focus on your circumstances. Rather, focus on the God of your circumstances, the God of the highs and the God of the lows. Paul had a list of highs and lows. We will too. But through it all, he had that joy that only came from God. And then thirdly, 
when the wave of anxiety comes, will you stand firm in prayer? As we've said before, you have anxiety here and peace here. If there's no prayer, don't expect any peace. Use all that time that you would spend worrying, praying, and that your heart and your mind might be guarded by the peace that only comes from Christ. You remember Jesus on that boat in Mark chapter 4, a boat filled with anxiety. (laughs) A storm was coming, right? Jesus was asleep, but a storm was coming. And I'm sure the hearts of all those disciples were filled with anxiety. They finally woke Jesus up, and what did he say? Peace, be still. The wind stopped blowing. The wave stopped crashing. And everything was calm. It's only found in Christ. Pray with me, please. Father, we confess, I confess, I let disagreement, I let bad circumstances, I let anxiety crash into me and rock my world. I think I stand, but I get knocked around by those waves and I find myself face down in the water. Father, forgive me, forgive us for falling into such things, Lord. And we know that you have now given us the foundation of Christ on which to stand. You've given us your word which to hold. And you've equipped us, Father, with the presence of your Holy Spirit that we might indeed stand firm in these three areas, giving honor to you. Change us where we need to be changed. Grow us and mold us and shape us into your image, dear Lord. We ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen.